Hello and welcome to the Sleep Meditation for Women podcast. I'm Katie Kremitzos. I'm the creator of the Women's Meditation Network and your guide here. I am so deeply honored that you took the time to be here with me tonight. This episode is made possible thanks to the generosity of our sponsors. And after a message from them, we'll begin tonight's meditation. If you would like to listen ad-free, become a premium member by following the link in the show notes. Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. At Alma, we know the connection between you and your therapist matters. But if you're already feeling stressed and burnt out, the idea of trying to find a therapist you really connect with can be overwhelming. That's why Alma's focused on helping you find the right therapist for you. When you browse their online directory, you can filter your search based on the qualities that are most important to you. Then you can book a free 15-minute consultation call with any therapist you're interested in seeing. So you can get a feel for whether they're the right fit before you commit to a full-length session. Alma also makes it easy for mental health care providers to navigate insurance. That's why 95% of therapists in their directory accept insurance for sessions. So you can find care that's affordable without stressing about the paperwork. You want to talk to someone, but not just anyone. Alma is there to help you find the right fit. Visit HelloAlma.com Therapy60 to schedule a free consultation today. That's HelloAlma.com Therapy60. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now, imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bolin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bolin Branch's sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee, plus 15% off your first order at bolinbranch.com code odyssey. Exclusions apply. See site for details. As a listener of this podcast, I hope you've felt the benefits of falling asleep with a calm, gentle voice playing in the background. So I'm thrilled to share another beautiful podcast that you can add to your playlist right now that will help you relax and fall asleep. It's called Calm History, and it's created by my friend Harris. His low, soft voice lulls you to sleep as he tells you stories from history. You'll travel back in time to the global history of rubber, Joan of Arc, Henry Ford, the Titanic, Marco Polo, and more. Each episode is narrated in a calm voice to help you relax and fall asleep. 
So make sure to subscribe to the Calm History Podcast right now by searching for Calm History wherever you get your podcasts or go to silkpodcasts.com in the show notes. More calm is just a click away. And now here's one of my favorite episodes highlighting Joan of Arc, Sweet Dreams, Beautiful. Welcome to episode number three of Calm History. This is a highlight episode featuring Joan of Arc. I'm Harris, and I created this podcast to bring you the conflicts, discoveries, tragedies, and triumphs of history, but in a calm tone, so you can just chill and relax. You can learn more about my other podcasts, and vote on the future of this podcast by going to silkpodcasts.com or use the link in the episode notes. All right, here are some questions I'll answer as I tell you about the story of Joan of Arc. Why did her name end with of Arc? What motivated her want to fight in battles? Why did she initially wear the clothing of a male soldier? How many soldiers did she lead in her first battle? How did she end up in prison? And finally, I'll end with this series of dramatic trials that initially blemished her name, but then later granted her the proper glory that she deserved. Okay, time to begin today's historical tale. I hope it distracts and relaxes your overactive brain squirrels. The Story of Joan of Arc During the Hundred Years' War between the French and the English, a young French peasant girl born in 1412 gained much fame. Her name was Joan of Arc. She was not from a land named Arc, but rather it is believed that her father's name was Dark. So she was Joan of Dark, which has survived today as Joan of Arc. Her father may have accidentally planted the seed of her future in her head by frequently telling her about the sad condition of France. He explained how the French population had not regained its former size since the Black Death of the mid-14th century and how its merchants were isolated from foreign markets. Additionally, nearly all the fighting of the Hundred Years' War had taken place in France, he explained to her. The major problem with this was that the English army used scorched-earth tactics which further devastated the French economy. She also learned that the King of France was so fearful of a total English victory that he did not want to be crowned. Joan reflected on all of this and felt great pity for her country. She brooded over the matter so much 
that she began to have visions of angels. She also heard strange voices, which said to her, Joan, you can protect your country from the English. At last, these strange visions and voices made her believe that she had a mission from God, and she became more determined to try to save France. When she told her father and mother of her purpose, they tried to persuade her that the visions of angels and the voices were just dreams. Joan held firm and replied, I must do what God has willed, for this is no work of my choosing. The village priest, her young companions, even the governor of the town, all tried to stop her, but it was in vain. To the governor she said, I must do the work that I have been called to do. People slowly began to believe in her mission. At last, some wealthy supporters helped her to make the journey to the town of Chinon, where the French king, Charles VII, was living. Before heading out, she was asked if she was going to travel through hostile territories in her dress. She heeded the subtle advice and agreed to switch to a soldier's outfit. This choice would later be used to support the charge of cross-dressing against her. When Joan arrived at Chinon, a force of French soldiers was preparing to go to the south of France to relieve the city of Orleans, which the English were besieging. King Charles received Joan kindly and listened to what she had to say with deep attention. Joan spoke modestly, but with a calm belief of her divine inspiration. At this point in time, the French army had not achieved any major victories for a generation. The king and his nobles talked the matter over, and finally it was decided to allow Joan to lead an army of about 5,000 men against the English at Orleans. Plate armor was commissioned for her, and she received a banner of her own design. A sword was brought for her from underneath the altar of a church in central France. In April of 1429, at the age of 18 years, Joan led her soldiers from Chinon. She was mounted on a powerful war horse and clad in white armor from head to foot. In one hand, she carried her sword, and in the other hand, her own white banner embroidered with lilies. Her soldiers followed and guarded her with their full support. Even before she joined the army, her presence created devotion and the hope of divine assistance. Her effect on morale was powerful. She inspired the whole army with courage and faith as she talked about her visions. Even the news of her coming may have encouraged the people of Orleans to continue their resistance. When she arrived at the besieged city of Orleans, she fearlessly rode round its walls while the English soldiers looked on in astonishment. She was able to enter Orleans, despite the efforts of the besiegers 
to prevent her. She aroused the city by her cheerful, confident words, and then led her soldiers forth to give battle to the English. One after another, the English forts were taken. When only the strongest remained, and Joan was leading the attacking force, she received a slight wound. Joan was carried out of the battle to be attended by a surgeon. Her soldiers began to retreat. Wait, she commanded. Eat and drink and rest, for as soon as I recover, I will lead you back to the fort, and you will fight with renewed vigor. In a few minutes, she mounted her horse again and rode rapidly up to the fort. This inspired her soldiers to keep fighting. The very next day, the enemy's troops were forced to withdraw from the city, and the siege ended. The French soldiers were jubilant at the victory and called Joan the Maid of Orleans. She led the French in several other battles, and again and again her troops were victorious. At last, the English were driven far to the north of France. Then King Charles, urged by Joan, went to the Cathedral of Reims with 12,000 soldiers, and there, with splendid ceremonies, was officially crowned king. Joan, holding her white banner, stood near King Charles during the coronation. When the ceremony was finished, Joan requested to return to her home to see her parents. However, the king urged her to stay a bit longer because France was not entirely freed from the English. Joan agreed, but she had lost her connection with heavenly voices, and along with it, her confidence to win battles. She took part in an attack on the army of the Duke of Burgundy and was taken prisoner. The Duke delivered her into the hands of the English, who put her in prison. She lay in prison for a year and finally was charged with sorcery and brought to trial. Her trial was long, exhausting, and was a foregone conclusion before it began. Charges against her were not clearly established, and she was not even read the charges until after her interrogations began. Joan was subjected to lengthy interrogations without any legal counsel, and there is evidence that some trial records were falsified. In spite of all of this, witnesses at the trial were impressed by her control, her prudence, and her poise. In one exchange, she was asked if she knew she was in God's grace. The question was meant as a trap. If she answered positively, she would be in violation of the church doctrine and charged with heresy. If she answered negatively, then she would have confessed her own guilt. Joan avoided the trap by stating that if she was not in God's grace, she hoped God would put her there. And if she was in God's grace, 
and she hoped she would remain so. Regardless of her best efforts, she was found guilty of heresy. In 1431, at the age of 19 years, Joan of Arc was burned at the stake. The English may have had a victory with her false trial, but everything Joan had set in motion came to fruition for France. The English never recovered their momentum in the Hundred Years' War that they lost when Joan rallied her country and soldiers. Also to Joan's wish, Charles VII retained his crown as King of France. The English verdict of her trial also did not stand the test of time. In 1955, a retrial began at Notre Dame Cathedral. The depositions from about 115 witnesses were reviewed. In the end, the court declared that the original trial was unjust, malicious, slanderous, fraudulent, and deceitful. The process, findings, and consequences of the original trial were all declared nullified. The stain on the name of Joan of Arc was ceremoniously erased when one of the copies of the articles of accusation against her was formally torn up. Joan of Arc has become a semi-legendary figure, and to many, she is a hero and a saint. This is the end of the episode. To listen to some other podcasts that I've created, or to vote on the future of this podcast, just go to silkpodcasts.com or use the link in the episode notes. Take care.